Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you may have to soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. And if you want to keep your best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. Even better, Remote lets you rest easy by providing the most comprehensive intellectual property protections and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered countries, guaranteeing that you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything the Remote offers, from payroll to compliance to benefits management, for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises, ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employee onboarded during their first year. Just visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better. See why global companies like GitLab trust Remote to manage and pay their international teams. Whether you want to hire one person or 100, Remote makes it easy. Visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better to get started. Hello and welcome to B2B Better. My name is Jason Bradwell and on each episode I talk about how companies can use marketing to navigate big moments of change. Whether this is gearing up for a new funding round, launching a new product, pivoting in response to market trends or sitting on either side of an acquisition, I break down modern day B2B marketing strategies into actionable advice with guests who've seen it all before. Let me help you be better than boring. Let's go. Today on B2B Better, I'm excited to be joined by Renette Youssef, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of Velo3D. How are you doing, Renette? Very well. Thanks for having me. Great. It's great to have you. Tell me a little bit about you and what you do at Velo3D. Okay. So as you said, I'm the CMO at Velo3D. So I joined Velo October 2020. It feels like long, so long ago. It really does. Um, but I'm responsible for all the marketing strategy globally. So we're expanding into Europe and we obviously have a US team. And prior to that, it's always been B2B marketing. So I have about 20 years experience. Started off in Australia, moved to the UK, did about eight, nine years there and then landed in the US. I was only meant to be in the US for two years, but 10 years later, here I am. I fell in love with like the startup scene in Silicon Valley and, and now Velo. So happy to be here. And have you always worked in what I would class as like enterprise B2B or because I mean, there's different shades yeah. of B2B. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah. So mostly, uh, if not all is my back of my background is B2B enterprise. Like you said, different shades. So it's definitely been very early stage startups, companies where it's maybe two-sided. So there's like the enterprise side and then the consumer side, um, but very much software, very much all of it has been technology. The only difference really is Velo3D, which is a technology manufacturing company, which was very new to me. Like I hadn't done hardware before, but yes, very enterprise, all B2B, all software. <laughs> And tell us a little bit about Velo3D, because yeah. when I first came across the company, I, I, I had a little bit of B2C experience earlier uh -huh, in my uh -huh. career, and I worked for a cycling brand. And obviously, Velo, that is a cycling, that's part of the cycling <laughs> terminology. Obviously, it is not a cycling company, Velo3D. What, what do you guys do? Additive manufacturing technology company. So for people who don't know what additive manufacturing is, it's just another way of saying 3D printing. What we do is metal 3D printing. So 
for you know really innovative companies through software and hardware. So some of our customers are like SpaceX. We help them print their Raptor engine. We have like Boom Supersonic, which I don't know if you guys have heard about Boom, but they're you know they're doing supersonic flight, so you can actually wow. get to London and Sydney and like hours you know instead of 24 hours so things like that so it's an end-to-end solution 3d metal printing and yeah <laughs> no that's really exciting and i we were talking just before we started recording about you having come from sydney and my love of the city yeah. in sydney the one part of that trip i never like is that 24-hour journey yes. usually 36-hour journey yeah. so anything to do with anything to do with compressing that amount of time i have to say sat in a small confined space i'm, I'm all for um Obviously, the company went public recently, which is mm-hmm. very exciting via a mm-hmm. SPAC. Tell us about the company's journey to that point, getting listed on the New York Stock Exchange back in September. Yeah, so I think one of the important things why we decided to go public was that we work with some like Fortune 500 companies and you know really innovative-led companies, and they want to make sure that they invest in a company that's going to be around for the long term. So going public sort of creates that credibility and that trust so that was one of the biggest drivers of why we w- w- wanted to go public. And then I think we were talking about like the, my first days, like Benny calling me into a meeting room and sort of saying, okay, this is your baby now. So um, working very closely with Benny, sort of getting his vision down on like PowerPoint slides and making sure that our story was very tight. Like how do you explain the value of Velo 3D? What is it that makes us special? Why are these companies buying Velo 3D? And like, what is the differentiation? Like if you look at the 3d metal printing company space it's pretty big right so and there's a lot of companies in there but so what was special about Velo 3d and really articulating that really crystal clear and so making sure people understood us and our proposition and our value really clearly but after we got that story done it was just like meeting lots of investors and then getting really ready for the new york stock exchange i think that is one of a company's biggest brand moments and so how do you make sure that you show up in a way that really shows you in your best light so it was a lot of late nights and a lot of planning, but it was so much fun and I would do it again in a heartbeat. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure you were there at, on the day that the company yep. listed and you were able to ring the bell. How'd that feel? That was amazing. I think after like 20 years in technology and startups and 10 years in like Silicon Valley, it's almost like your dream and to see it and make it happen and be part of the team that made it happen and be there on the podium to ring the bell. It, it's pretty like once in a lifetime opportunity and it's something I'll never forget and honestly very honored to be part of the team to ring the bell absolutely you touched a little bit there on kind of the objectives that you had when you Mm -hmm. joined fellow 3d and it was about really tightening up the story and and obviously the conversations that you were then having with investors in terms of how you were going to approach approach the market what were they looking what were the investors looking for from the company through a marketing lens what were their kind of expectations on on you and how you ran your marketing strategy so they wanted to make sure that we had clear differentiation and that our story showed uh, uh, like that differentiation and very easy to understand like customer proof points who were the customers and what would they say about us and was that easily visible and are they ready also to be able to talk to investors and then also our brand they one of the investors calls us the tiffany of 3d metal printing so we had to make sure that our brand was premium and premier and honestly so leading up to the spac or the DSPAC day we made sure that we really redefined out we put all that messaging very tightly together we re-refreshed out look and feel and then we got ready to on the day of the new york stock exchange launch so we even had this huge like digital 
billboards and everything. So it was like taking all that hard work uh, leading up to that day and launching at the New York Stock Exchange, but also taking over Times Square, which just made that moment even better. Were there any kind of expectations from investors in preparation for the SPAC kind of commercial objectives? So were they looking at the number of new leads that you were helping the sales yeah. team bring in, that kind of thing? No, not really, honestly. I think they were looking maybe more holistically, like what was the pipeline? And obviously that's driven by marketing, but it was never a deep dive into how many leads were you generating? Uh, what is like your marketing pipeline look like in your campaigns? It was much more bigger than that. It was like, okay, what's your run rate? What are the, uh, the customers coming towards Bella 3D for? What are the problems that you're solving? And then looking at the sales pipeline, but it wasn't deep diving into marketing at all, actually. Mm. Now you're on the other side of the yep. SPAC and obviously yep. publicly listed um, and no place to hide, I think is <laughs> a term that I've heard other people who've been through this process yeah. use. What do your objectives look like now that you've spent all that time and energy in tightening up the brand and the message and the story? What are you evaluating your marketing success against? So we have two key um, objectives for the year. It's the number of qualified opportunities that we're generating for the sales team. So we call it obviously SQLs, but also we are measuring our opportunities too. So the level after SQLs. So we call them marketing generated opportunities and we want to make sure that they're growing at a 20% wrong quarter. So that's one of the other the big measures. And the other measure is measuring our brand. So we want to make sure that our brand is resonating with a broader audience Right? not just buyers of the product or the technology, but people that might potentially buy our stock, right? So making sure that our value is still, you know, on the way up and, and people are, you know, wanting to invest in Velo3D because they believe the story. So we do that in two ways. We measure Velo3D Google searches and our LinkedIn engagement. So LinkedIn engagement, we really, something probably really unusual for marketing teams, but we invest a lot in our story on Velo, on LinkedIn because that's where business people are, right? And it's a social platform. So we measure the way how many people like us, like our posts, share our posts, comment on our posts and follow us. So we call that total LinkedIn engagement. So we measure that and we measure our Google searches to see if our story is resonating. And then on the PR side, we have a whole bunch of different KPIs, but that's like individual KPIs for the, our PR director. So it's like share a voice, um, message pull through, like is the our differentiation, you know, and the words we want to make sure are, being associated with Velo3D, being talked about by journalists, right? So you can get as much press as you want, but it's not if it's not on key message, it's no real point, right? So, so we measure things like that, but it's those two things, our sales pipeline that uh, from marketing and our brand and brand recognition is our main objective since we've gone public. It's so refreshing to hear that a company yeah. like Velo3D, which is from the kind of manufacturing space, yeah. recognizing the fact that brand actually has a role to play in the long-term business success. And because it's not very often, right? You hear a lot about brand development in the SaaS world mm -hmm. where it's about quantity. How many mm -hmm. potential prospects can we attract coming to us consistently? You don't hear it so much in the enterprise sector. And I'm curious, where did that kind of thinking come into the business that we need to be active on social media? We need to be measuring this. We need to be investing in this. Did that come with you? Or was that something that was always with, you know, Velo3D? Yeah. So we never really had 
a marketing function at Velo3D. So when it actually I was first approached about the role at Velo3D, I was like, I didn't know anything about manufacturing or about hardware. But Benny and the recruiters were like, okay, we really want somebody from outside of manufacturing to come in and do what they do in SaaS, right? Like, let's think about things and turn, you know, you know Velo3D's outreach on its head because we see the benefits of what SAS is doing and we can bring it to manufacturing. So it was led by the CEO and his vision. And then when I came in, bringing in what I'd learned over those decades of doing SAS <laughs> with me. Digging a little bit more into kind of the brand development piece, mm-hmm. what did that kind of process look like? Because you obviously joined shortly before the SPAC, yeah. relatively speaking. And yeah. as you say, day one, you're given a big binder and say, yeah. you know, make this happen. What was that kind of, what did that kind of process look like for you as a marketer and taking this manufacturing brand and deciding here's how we're going to elevate it to, to the next yeah. level? So I think one of the biggest things I had was buy-in from the executive team, like so my peers. And I think that's really important, especially with a tech-led company and an engineering-led company. Branding can sometimes come off as fluffy and a big resource in terms of both time and money, right? But I was lucky enough that Benny and the CFO and the rest of the executive team realized that this is something that we need to invest in. So then we went out and we sort of looked for a partner that can help us execute this. So it was like, I can't even tell you months and months of like meeting agencies. And once we found the right agency, then it was that heavy lift of onboarding them and helping them understand our company and talking to people internally and externally. And then once, once we had all, you know, those sort of foundations put in place, then we were able to really run quickly. So it was a lot of things of working with the rest of the executive team to sort of say, okay, this is how we want to position ourselves. Do you buy into this? Then it was around like our tagline, do you buy into this? And this is why. And then once we were like sort of finalized the brand, we had to then launch it internally, right? So we did like three or four kind of lunch and learns. People jumped on a Zoom call with me. We ran through the whole um, brand, like why it matters, what is our positioning, what is our story, all those kind of things. And then we launched it with a video manifesto. We did a video at the end of it just to sort of bring it to life. And now we like, because we're growing so quickly, we're doing that every quarter. So everybody that's joined in the last quarter, come and hear about the brand and how it impacts you and how you can actually live the brand, right? And I think that's really important. Everybody in the company needs to know what the brand is and how they play a part in it. So we talk about our tone, our voice, how you should be writing emails, how, when you show up to a customer, all those kind of things. And it's so funny now, people internally, when we sort of do something, they launch something, they go, is this premium? And is it premier? Because that's what we say. <laughs> Our brand is premier and premier. So is this coming to life as a premier premium brand? And if it is go, okay, launch. If it's not, let's think about how we can make it a bit more polished. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I would ask you like, what would be your tip to someone listening to this? Who's in a similar situation that you've been in where they've been tasked with redeveloping a brand yeah. Um, yeah. in a company that perhaps historically has not really had too much appetite for that kind of stuff where the perception of kind of marketing as my uncle sometimes puts it working in a big enterprise company, the, the, the department that plays with the crayons basically. So what would be your tip to not just within the leadership team? And it's great to hear that they, mm-hmm. they had that buy-in already, mm-hmm. but you know, as it cascades down through the business, how do you encourage your colleagues to get on board with this kind of redevelopment of, of the brand? I think it's like education because if it's like a big enterprise like your uncle or a company like Bell 3 d where there's a lot of engineers, it's just it's sort of educating them on how for, uh, like branding is important and, and talking about examples. 
And, you know, showing them examples where big companies have really invested in their brand and how it's made a difference and like their guardrails, right? So I'm lucky enough to know Stefan Krauss, who was the ex-CFO uh, at um, BMW. And he clearly talks about how they had guardrails at BMW. Like they never put their logo on a golf ball, for example, because you don't want to hit the logo, right? Yeah. So just using light, like saying like, this is like how big companies have, you know, really elevated themselves and stood apart from their competition by investing in brand. And then just launching them, like the brand work that you do internally, even if it's in stages, right? So if it's something like you're calling it messaging, okay, this is still brand work, right? The way we talk about ourselves. And if people are talking about us differently, then we're never going to have a solid brand and we're only going to you know, confuse people in the market. Mm. So by being all on the same hymn book or whatever that saying mm. is, I'm the worst person to talk about saying, <laughs> but singing from the same hymn book and being on brand is really important. And by doing that, it's just like, how do you explain Velo 3D or how to explain your company name? If everyone's saying the same thing, we're going to have a stronger brand and stronger recognition. People get things like that, right? Like if you just use real life examples and then start talking about our tone and our voice and why our logo is blue and not, you know, orange and things like that, then it's easy. But it's just like starting, you know, from the ground roots with examples people can get and understand and get behind and then just adding layers onto onto that. Yeah, absolutely. Putting it back into the context of the listing, you mentioned obviously the investors pre-listing were quite clear on what their expectations were Mm -hmm. of you and marketing, which were, we need to get our story tight. How involved were they in that process as you were going through this brand positioning uh, exercise? Not, you're probably surprised, but not a lot, right? Like, I think they were more interested in the bigger story. Like, again, we talked about like, why Velo 3D? How do we differentiate ourselves? What does the market look like? And where where does Velo 3D play? It probably all is some kind of marketing behind all that. But that was what they were really interested in diving deep in. But some of the board members were very interested. So yeah, we had board members that were much more interested about like what, how the brand was being developed and how we sort of talk about ourselves, like we're a technology company in manufacturing, not a manufacturing company, for example. And, and, and then like making sure that we are going to, we're you know, sticking with our premium and premier route and then also making sure that our differentiators were clear. Like we have 49 patents. Let's make sure that people hear that as part of the story and we're not printing or building boxes that are printing metal, but it's like really invested in science and engineering. Yeah. My experience working with some investors is, and I'd be keen to kind of get your take on this, is that um, I'm by no means presenting a broad categorization of all investors here clearly, but PR seems to be one of the kind of biggest drivers of perceived marketing success, right? Are we getting into the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, things like that? I'm curious to know, one, if that was your experience, either in this role or in previous roles, and then two, if it was, you know, how you can educate investors now that that now actually marketing to be successful in marketing. It's not just about getting that front page spread. There is a lot more to it, you know, brand, demand gen, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I think you're right. There are some investors who think that's really important. And in my experience, I find it when it's a startup that is like still trying to find its place or get that publicity, right? Like early stage startups and early stage VCs, really want a lot of that tech crunch, Wall Street Journal, just to sort of validate the story and get like maybe growth, right? Mm. And as your as the company sort of evolves, it's still important, but you don't feel it as much from the VCs. 
right? Yeah. But when, as we were going public, yeah, for sure, right? Like when we announced the SPAC, we were having meetings almost once a week, every couple of days leading up to the SPAC. And then on the day of the SPAC, we were talking all day, right? Like just about PR. So I think it is really important. And I think VCs probably add more importance depending on where the product or the company life cycle is. So I was talking to somebody, a board member, and they was talking about there's three types of VCs and board members. Like there's the engineer, there's the product, and then there's the commercial. And most of them are not the commercial, right? They're like engineers, especially in tech and SaaS. And so they, you do have to educate them on what marketing does. And the best way to do that is through like, talking about what you contribute to the funnel, right? You talked a little bit about the uh, results of the kind of approach that you took in preparation for the SPAC, notwithstanding that obviously uh, the listing was successful and it went through. What other success metrics were you able to pull on when everyone was patting their back and I'm sure clinking a lot of champagne at the <laughs> end to say that marketing had a great impact on the successful on the successful listing? So we did have PR metrics. So you did talk about PR. So we wanted to make sure that we had... X amount of pieces of PR, including broadcasts. So we got onto CNBC, we got into TD Ameritrade, we got into Cheddar, we got on Fox Business. So we had real solid KPIs, and then making sure that we hit those, it made like made it even that much more satisfying to know that it was a success, right? And then we also made sure that um, just that experience everybody had at the New York Stock Exchange felt premium and premier. So we had like, I think about 50, 60 people join us for the day, right? So at the New York Stock Exchange itself, and then afterwards for drinks, right? So we did the closing bell, and then we just sort of made sure that these were customers and partners and um, investors and our or anyone that was sort of involved in the early days of Velo 3D, like we had people that, you know, joined Velo on the first day were there. Yeah. So uh, we want to make sure that they felt like they were part of that experience and that they were, they understood our premium and premier brand and just like everything that we did made, was like going back to that. So it was mostly around PR, making sure that we got that publicity and, and the awareness and then that experience on the day itself. I really love this whole kind of premium and premiere <laughs> mantra. Like I think yeah. I may get it printed into a t-shirt just for yeah. my day-to-day -day life. Because I think it's I think it's something that so many of these kind of enterprise B2B brands yeah. don't invest that much time into thinking about, right? Yeah. It's the detail and it's uh -huh. the how can we elevate this experience that we're offering to our clients and our investors and our staff yes. that when we're doing something or we're talking about something, it cuts through the monotony of what could otherwise be considered a, a somewhat dry industry, right? It's how can we be different and exciting? Yeah. And I think I'd love to get your take on that and, and what you think, what you see the role of premium and premier more generally in kind of B2B marketing being over the next five years or so. So not everybody has to be premium and premier, mm. right? So I think you got to figure out what you want to be. Like people, can, companies can be cheeky in enterprise, right? But you have to back it up. And so we had all these guardrails, like we're factual, but approachable, right? Like we want to make sure that we're approachable, but very store, like because our audience are engineers, right? So we, made, we had to make sure that we, uh, the brand that we we're building was approachable for engineers and not fluffy because like, they're not going to buy into what we're doing or saying, right? Like 3D metal printing, think about that, right? We're printing rocket parts, right? You yeah. don't have to get engineers to believe that we're printing these rocket parts that are actually going to take you to space and not blow up on the way up, right? So mm. that was why we chose this premium premier brand. And I think like companies that want to invest in whatever they decide, like if it's cheeky or premium premier, 
it's yeah, everything that you do has to stand behind that, right? So there's no confusion, right? Like, so I think sometimes my team are like, can we be a bit cheeky? Like, yeah, we can be cheeky, right? But it has to, is it premier? It's not going to be for like, and people are going to go, oh, cringe on it, right? So I think it's a guiding light, right? So whatever, where, wherever you want to fall on the spectrum of premier or cheeky or scrappy, just it's, everything has to be consistent. So you're not confusing people with the experience and that brand keeps continuing to build. I don't know if I answered your question, but it's, I think that it was important for us to be the premier brand because of who we're targeting and to build that trust and credibility in what we're doing. Yeah, you absolutely did answer my question. It's about identifying who you are or who the company is and then Mm -hmm. ensuring that there is consistency, not just from marketing, but across every touch point that a client, investor, employee, or whoever may have with that brand fits behind that 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 message that persona exactly yeah and i'm curious to know how, how can you as a as a marketer because not every kind of b2b company has a chief marketing officer like yeah. like velo 3d is very lucky yeah. to have in you and i know a lot of people listening to b2b better maybe they are the kind of only marketing person mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. within their organization and they may be thinking to this like that sounds great but like how do i do that right outside of my remit I don't know what you'd say to those kind of people. So I've been there. I remember being the only person in marketing. But I think brand and it starts from the top, right? And it has to be everybody in the organization. So when we launched like the brand work that we did, I tell everybody it's not my responsibility. It's every single person. So to get like, you know, it is hard when it's one person marketing and it's a scrappy startup, but start building those foundations, right? Start saying, who are we? Who do we, who is our customer? What, when they think about my company or the brand, what do they think about? What do we want them to think? And how do we differentiate? And then just start rolling these things out really, it's like in everything that you do, right? And then as the team grows and the company grows, you can start even formalizing it a bit more, right? So as the sales team grows, this is who our customer is. This is what makes us different and what makes us better. And then as you start going exhibitions and conferences when we get back to real life or the way we do zoom webinars is that brand coming to life there right it just starts really slowly and one piece at a time and before you have a very strong brand like a brand is like what if two or more people say the same thing about that company it's a brand right so you just have to get two or more people to say the same thing (laughs) and that will do that will start you know snowballing as you start doing all the marketing work right but you also as you're doing all this bring like the the sea level with you or the your you know this the VP of sales or the VP of operations or the VP of marketing or whatever that person that you're reporting to or is in charge of marketing the CEO, probably this other stage startup or small companies, and just make sure that they're also aligned with your vision. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head because the saying don't work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing slash brand is it's all over the place. But I think you're right. It's a very good indicator as to whether you are going to be on a journey that's as easy as it can be because changing a brand or kind yes. of setting a brand in, in, in a collective mind is hard. If you're working against a leadership team who do feel like brand is just the yeah. marketing's responsibility and it doesn't yeah. touch anything else, it's going to be swimming against the tide and probably be very difficult to turn things around. 100%. Yeah. 100%. You've been with Velo3D now like 15 months, am I right in saying? October 2021 is when you joined? Surprisingly, I can do that math last thing on a Friday when we're recording this, but hey, I still got a little bit of juice left. What's been the most challenging part in terms of navigating your new role and setting this new strategy, particularly in the context of 
getting listed on the New York Stock Exchange? So let me just back up. So when I started, we had two people in marketing and 15 months later, we have 12. Wow. So it was like, how do I scale marketing? How do I define what our plan and strategy is? How do we build this brand and launch on the New York Stock Exchange all within 12 months? <laughs> So, so, so that pre- was. So, I mean, there's only three things on a to do list. There's yeah. only three things on a to do list. <laughs> so, I remember days where I was just interviewing back to back, back to back, and then trying also to figure out these investor meetings. So, it was a whirlwind. It was 12 months of like really hard work. But now we have this very awesome team in place and we have a brand that we've defined. So I'm hoping the next 12 months is just like accelerating everything we've done and just making it a little smoother, like to get things done. And now we have data, for example, like 12 months ago, I didn't have any data. So things like that, right? It's, it's, it, was a, it was a big year. <laughs> so okay. There wasn't one big challenge. It was just scaling marketing and building this function. <laughs> is there anything you would have done differently looking back on the last five, 15 months? <sighs> Maybe start earlier on the New York Stock Exchange day itself, but it's also it was really hard, right? Like you never know when it's gonna when you're gonna get the day, right? Mm. Like so there's so many SPACs and so many P, uh, IPOs that you actually don't know the day until like two maybe weeks out, right? So it's really crazy, right? So we actually went public and then we rang the bell a week later, I think it was. So just if you're working for a company, it's a late stage, and you know that going public is on the horizon start that day start the day or you feel you get the yes the confirmation from whoever it is in the company saying that we're going to go public this year start that day make yourself ready to go public that day you almost it sounds like there may be a business idea in like a uh we're getting listed kit so like it's just like like a big box that arrives on when you know that you've got that data mine you can just unpack it and it's got the big banner in there and maybe it's got like a the little hammer a little test hammer a little practice hammer and a bell that's it that you can play it's with. Not, it's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. It's so fascinating to hear this side of the marketing kind of journey because I've never been part of a of, of, of an IPO. I hope to be one day. And picking your brains on what that journey looks like and how you devise a strategy to maximize the success of that kind of event has been so insightful. And thank you for that. To close us off, Tell me, what do you think is going to be the biggest change in how companies market themselves, B2B companies market themselves over the next five years? I think a B2B is going to go to B2C, the way they market themselves, right? So when I started off, it was like B2B is your marketing to an organization. Maybe there was a buyer, but now we're so... Uh, we have so much more insight on who those buyers are that it's almost B2C, right? Like we know our design engineers who we target at Velo3D and we know them intimately now, right? So that's more B2C than it is B2B. Yes, we might have a B2B strategy, but we're targeting people in a B2C way, right? Like we talked about, we do LinkedIn and things like that. So it's definitely about being that personal uh, relationship. And a lot of the stuff that we do at Velo3D is around ABM, account-based marketing, and it's very one-on-one. So we have Amy, who's just one person looking after, like going after contacts one-on-one very personalized, very like relationship building. And I think that will make such a difference in B2B. I couldn't agree more. I think the channels that we have available to us now as marketers to reach our buyers have changed the game, right? Because it means anyone, it means anyone, any company out there can compete where historically, unless you had a six figure budget to attend that one big trade show a year, you weren't getting in front of your customers. 
if you can set up a great podcast or be active on LinkedIn or do a newsletter, you can, if it's good enough, the content's good enough, the value is strong enough, you can compete with anybody, right? You don't need to be at that big trade show, especially as the last two years have proven. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And just do it all with authenticity, I think is another point. Just be really authentic because people see through everything now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And premium and premier, if that's your vibe. Don't forget that. (laughs) Who should I interview next on B2B Better? Oh, that's an interesting question. That's a really interesting question. Have you read the book? No, I can't remember what it's called. His name is Donald something. Donald Miller? Yes, about the brand book. Have you got it? Yeah, I've got it here on my old bookshelf. Oh my God, it's such a good book, right? Really so good. Story. Yes. I think that would be a fantastic win for me personally and yeah. be a be better brand if I was able to get Donald Middle on here. Um, but I mean, working in an enterprise organization as I've done for the last four years with a very complex value proposition, yes. building a story brand yes. was a huge help for me to just distill it down to its core parts. So Absolutely. We're not being compensated for this, I should say. Renette and I, we're not earning any commission, but building a story brand, 10 out of 10. Yeah, agreed. I'm so glad you could help me fill in the blanks a couple of years ago. And I'm like, oh my God, what was that called? Where can people learn more about you if they want to follow you or connect with you? Where can they find you? Active on LinkedIn. And you can see a lot about Valley3D there. I am on Twitter and it's just at Renette. And if you're into um, Instagram, I'm also on Instagram. So <laughs> Renette there. And then we're on, on Velo3D.com. There's a whole section, the whole team. So you can learn more about me there too, as, uh, along with the people I've mentioned today. Fantastic. Well, I'll make some links uh, to those profiles in the description of this episode. But otherwise, Renette, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better today. Of course. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you may have to soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. And if you want to keep your best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. Even better, Remote lets you rest easy by providing the most comprehensive intellectual property protections and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered countries, guaranteeing that you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything that Remote offers, from payroll to compliance to benefits management, for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises, ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employee onboarded during their first year. Just visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better. See why global companies like GitLab trust remote to manage and pay their international teams. Whether you want to hire one person or 100, remote makes it easy. Visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better to get started and that's it for this episode of b2b better if you enjoyed the interview go ahead and subscribe to my podcast leave a rating a comment a review or just share it on social media it'll really make my day every monday morning i send out a newsletter to b2b marketers all around the world on how to do better b2b marketing you can sign up to that via the link that i'm going to leave in the description of this episode or if you need a fix of b2b marketing content goodness right now you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com See you next week.
This episode was sponsored by Remote.